Uh, those of you who have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be taking up in Matthew chapter 17. So go ahead and turn there. Now, last week in Matthew 17, we saw the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Now, when we were looking upon that, what was the point of it? Do you guys remember? When we looked upon it, it's like, why did Jesus do that? And really, in the end, he's moving towards the cross now. He is moving towards Calvary. And you know, his disciples, they've been kind of struggling. You know, he, he keeps telling them, you have little faith, you have little faith, you have little... Now, it's a genuine faith. It's not the hypocritical faith that the Pharisees have. It is a genuine faith, and so it is real, and it is saving. And yet, they have little faith. It's a waning faith. It's a small faith. It's not what it should be. And really, in the end, the point of the vision... Um, we see it, the, the, the father himself comes down in the cloud because, you know, Peter and James and John, they went up there and Jesus, he took them up there to pray, remember? And what happened to them is what happens to you and me oftentimes when we try to pray. What happens when you pray for like a long period, more than like five minute prayer? What happens? <laughs> right? We do that, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It, it happens. And so Peter, James and John, the giants of the faith, Peter's three, the inner sanctum, right? They went up there to pray with him. And what did they do? They fell asleep. They fell asleep while they were supposed to be praying. And they got woken up, didn't they? Uh, Jesus was transfigured before him and before all of them. And it says that his face shone as the sun. It's like, whoa, that's pretty right. Anybody ever try to stare at the sun for a little bit? Now, can you imagine the sun sitting like in the third row? like right in front of you, like, whoa, like, can you imagine how that would be? And he was so bright. His countenance was such that even his clothing, the light shining through them made them whiter than any launderer could ever cleanse them. Okay. So he was glowing before them. And not only that, but there was also Elijah and Moses who came and they started talking to Jesus about his death and resurrection that was coming soon. And so there they all were, they're all talking, and Peter and the boys are waking up with sleep in their eyes, and they're, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever, like, gone from, like, a dark room, and somebody turns on the light, and, like, your eyes are trying to adjust, and you're like, whoa, what's going on? And it hurts. You know, that's them, so they're kind of dumbfounded, they're kind of confused, they don't know what's going on, and then all of a sudden they see, you know, Lion Mo there, and they're like, <gasps> no, you know, our kids have Captain America, and Iron Man, and things like that, Little Jewish boys, Elijah, Moses, David, those were kind of like their heroes. And so they, there they were, they're staring at their, their heroes, their idols, and they're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. They didn't know what to say. They're kind of in a stupor of their sleep. And then all of a sudden, you know, the conversation must have finished, and Elijah and Mo start to leave. And Peter, because he didn't know what he was saying, that's what, that's, at least we're given that, right? So we can feel for Peter, but he didn't know what he was saying, so he's like, he doesn't want them to leave. And so he's like, wait, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us build a tabernacle, you know, for you and for Moses and for Elijah. And then God, the father's like, oh, Pete, 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 you missed it. You missed it. It's not about Elijah. It's not about a Moses. It, so the God, the father comes down in the cloud and his voice speaks. And it says that they were terrified and fell down like they were dead, right? They fell down because they were fearful when they heard the voice of the father speaking. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. What's the point of the transfiguration? Exactly that. We have a message. See, see, Jesus is going to be presented as the Messiah of Israel in just a very short time, scripturally speaking. 
right? But now to the inner sanctum, to his uh, disciples, to these three, he was revealed as not just the Christ, but he was revealed as the Son of God. And that was what, what Peter had declared. That was the divine revelation that God the Father had given him at Caesarea Philippi. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now Jesus was confirming that in the transfiguration and so we have that, and then you know, they have this. They start like walking down the mountain, right? And they're having a conversation. They're like, they still don't get it. You know, Jesus starts talking to him about his death and resurrection, and they don't talk to Jesus about that. But they kind of go like, "What do you think he means by he's going to die?" I don't know. And they just keep going because in their minds they still can't believe, they still can't see the scriptures that say that Christ was going to suffer and die. So they come down, and you know, they're having their conversations, and then they come down to a scene which is the scene that we're going to be covering this morning. And there, there's, there's a bunch of hoopla, there's a bunch of stuff going on, there's some argument, some discussing going on with the other disciples and some scribes, and you know, Jesus comes down and addresses it. And we're going to see a, another miracle that's going to happen here uh, this morning. And again, oftentimes what, what we need to do when we come to the scriptures is like, why is this written? Why is it that God placed this verse, this passage of scripture uh, in the Bible why is it that we are here this morning and you know, we're going to be addressing this really in the end. Uh, this morning's text, this morning's scripture verses are about faith, about belief and unbelief and their importance and what God thinks of unbelief. And we're, we're going to see it all this morning very clearly. So join with me in verse 14 of Matthew's gospel, chapter 17, and we'll read through verse 21. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, your word. Lord, it is powerful, living and alive. And Lord, we pray that it would pierce into the deepest parts of our hearts and our souls. Lord, that your message would be clear to us. Lord, that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us in this room. Not to our family members, not to co-workers, but to us. For we are here, gathered in this place, hearing your word, worshiping together by the Spirit. So Lord, speak to your children, for we are listening. We come to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come down to this. Now, to to get like a a full picture of what's going on here, there's more details that you get in the, when you kind of parallel the different gospel accounts. And 
So Jesus and his boys are coming down and Jesus sees that there are some scribes and they're, they're, they're discussing or arguing with some of his disciples and they're, and there's like all this murmur. And then as the, the people, cause there's a crowd around them, this, this people recognize Jesus, they see him and it says they are filled with joy. They're filled with excitement and they're like amazed. And so they run up to Jesus and it's interesting because you can kind of picture it. it's like this crowd is running to Jesus, but Jesus, he's not interested in the crowd. He's not interested in how the crowd is heralding him. But what he does is I, I believe he walks straight through the crowd. So like the crowd runs to him, but then he parts the crowd and he walks straight to where the scribes are. Now, you know, in Jesus day, the scribes had issues with Jesus, didn't they? And Jesus, he spoke gently and lovingly and very delicately to every single person except the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the lawyers, the group of people who were religious, who knew, and they, they had a hypocritical religion. And those people he spoke very harshly to, calling them a brood of vipers, you know, thieves, and the blind leaders of the blind, the dead who need to go bury their own dead. He didn't speak nicely about them. Why? Because they had the truth, but they denied the truth in unrighteousness and suppressed it in unrighteousness. And so Jesus spoke very harshly to them. So Jesus, as the crowd, it comes up. Remember, this is right after, this is the next morning after the transfiguration. He has been shown to his disciples as the son of God. And he is walking down and now he sees scribe, these scribes. And not every scribe was bad, but these scribes are some of the ones that he is not pleased with. And these scribes are arguing with his disciples. They're contending with them. And so as the crowd rushes up to Jesus, he walks right past the crowd is that he doesn't stop for handshakes and autographs. He walks right through the crowd and he goes straight to the scribes and he asks them, what were you discussing? And then it's like, you, you can almost feel the awkward silence. And then a man steps forward, somebody who was in the crowd. And, and he's the one who, who speaks now to us. And he says, Lord, have mercy on my son for he is an epileptic. Right? He is an epileptic. Now, when you look at the other gospel accounts, uh, he also talks about this. He says that he's demon-possessed. He has a mute spirit that he can't speak and that this, this demon, oftentimes, it shakes him and convulses him like epilepsy, but then throws him down and even tries to destroy him, throwing him into the water and throwing him into a fire, like a campfire. And, and so Jesus is looking at it like, oh, wow. Okay, and he says, like, how long has this been happening to the child? And he says, since he was a child, since he was a young lad. And so Jesus is like, okay, but I find it very fascinating how uh, this man, he says, for often he falls into the fire, into the water. And then verse 16, he says, so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Right. And then when you see in verse 17, how Jesus responds to this, it seems kind of strange, doesn't it? It seems like an unusual response of our savior. Here's a man who is coming and he brings his son and he says, I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And then Jesus response is, oh, it's okay. Let, let, let me heal him for you. But his, his response, remember, who's he conversing with? He's conversing with this man. Now he was originally coming to the scribes. What are you arguing about? But then this man steps forward. Now Jesus' attention comes to this man and this man saying, hey, I brought my son to your disciples and they could not heal him. And then Jesus' response is, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
Does that sound like the kind of response that you would expect from Jesus? Like if you came with a sick child before Jesus and you said, hey, you, I brought him to the church elders and I brought him here and they, they anointed him with oil and they prayed for them, but they couldn't heal him. And then you go and you, you meet Jesus and Jesus is here and Jesus says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Like you'd be like, oh, what did I do wrong? It, it kind of has that feel, doesn't it? And you're kind of like, you know, why would Jesus respond this way? Well, it's important to understand, okay, this whole faithless and perverse, you know, what exactly does that mean? When the Lord speaks in a, a harsher tone to anybody besides the scribes and the Pharisees, it kind of like my antenna goes up. It's like, why is he speaking like this? Well, let, let's see what he's, what he's talking about. Uh, this word faithless, uh, apistos, uh, it basically means without believing. Uh, in this context here, it's an adjective. And it basically means this. When you put it uh, as an adjective, it means disloyal to a spouse or partner, untrustworthy. And you think like, oh, unfaithful to a spouse or a partner. He's calling this generation. Now, are they unfaithful to their wives and their husbands and things like that? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about their spiritual condition. He says, you are unfaithful to me. You faithless generation. And then not only that, but then he also calls them a perverse generation, right? And that one, it basically means it's also an adjective. And it says, to show a deliberate and obstinate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, often in spite of the consequences, right? That's what he's saying to them. So it's important to understand what exactly is Jesus saying to them? He says, you are being unfaithful to God. And not only that, but you are obstinate and you are acting in an unreasonable fashion towards God. And you think like, what did the guy do? He brought his son. Isn't that, isn't that faith? Yeah, it is faith. The guy, the guy had enough faith for sure to bring his child to the Lord. But I want to kind of pose this to you guys. Have you ever had a great need in your life and you come to the Lord in praying for that need and yet in your mind you're already preparing yourself for nothing to happen, right? We've all done it, right? We all do it. We approach the throne of grace and, and we come before the Lord and it's like, and, and we're crying. We got the tears running down our face and we're like, oh Lord, Lord. And in your heart, there's like this battle going on. Lord, please heal this person. Please do this. I need you, Lord. Please meet me here. But in your mind, you're already divorcing the fact that he might actually do it. We've all done it, right? We've all had that moment where it's like, you know what? Please? Maybe? I believe that's what this man is doing. When you look at the other gospel accounts, it says that he, when he comes and he's, he's explaining himself, when he steps out of the crowd to Jesus, he says, I came to you. He's speaking to Jesus. Okay, he says, but then I asked your disciples to heal my son. So this man, he was coming, he, his son had been in this condition pretty much his whole life. It doesn't give an exact account of when his son began to have this, but at a very early age, his son began to like convulse and shake and, and like he, he'd like be thrown into the water, like when he's around pools of water, lakes and things like that. Like he'd be literally thrown down into the water or thrown down into fires, like very destructive towards him. And so he'd lived with this for so long. And those of you who know, when you become so familiar with something, you begin to accept it, Right? It becomes to become the normal. It's like, no, 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 it's just the way things are. It's always going to be this way. And so you just begin to accept it. 
and, and you begin to walk in that way. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you start to hear, it's like, oh, wow, you know, the Lord is doing things. The Lord is doing things. And he hears about this Jesus, the, the, this guy who maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's Elijah, maybe he's John the Baptist come back from the dead, you know, like Herod thought. And then you, you get excited and there's like that last little glimmer of hope that is in your heart begins to just like, like attack you with all of the life that is left in it. And you come, and yet in your mind, you're still like, ah. And, and this man, he was coming, he was looking for Jesus. He was looking for Jesus specifically. And as he came, and he saw, and, and the, he comes to, Je- to, to Jesus' disciples, and they say, oh, Messiah's not here. You know, he, he's up on the mountain. And then you could just imagine the guy, it's like, ah. And then, and then the disciples, he's, they're like, well, you know, can we help? And, and you know, then he presents his son to them. And, and you, you can see like him asking, hey, well, this is his condition. Can you do something? But in his mind already like, they can't do anything. They can't do anything. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to do this for me. And so here he is. He presents his son before the disciples and the disciples come. And now the disciples, you know, those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, there are ever times where you struggle and you doubt? Ever had anybody, now this happens to me as a pastor all the time, but like people will come up with like a sick son, uh, you know, maybe a, a wife, she's got multiple sclerosis or something like that, and they come and say, Pastor, can you please pray that they are healed? And then like the, every single time there's the battle in your mind, oh Lord, don't make me look like an idiot. Oh Lord, please don't make me look like an idiot. Okay, let's pray. You know, and like, and then you have to you like argue with yourself. It's like, okay, do I pray boldly? Father, please deliver this person. Or do you say, Lord, um, you know, heal this person. But, you know, if you don't want to heal the person, then um, maybe do this instead and and just make them be at peace with it because they have to live with it anyway. So they might as well be at peace. Right. And you like argue with yourself about how you're going to pray. Right. We've had that as disciples. It's like, you know, how should I pray for this person? And so now you have this guy coming up to the disciples and he says, you know, here's my son. You're probably not going to be able to heal him, but, you know, give it a shot. And his disciples are probably like, well, here we go. And they start to pray and they pray for him and then nothing happens. And he's like, see, I told you. And then guess what? There's the scribes, there's the Pharisees. (laughs) I knew you couldn't. Oh, you know, you you don't have the power of God. It's because you're doing it in Jesus name. That's blasphemy. And they would start having some kind of religious discussion with him, right? That's what they would do. And so, you know, we have this. In this moment where he's saying, you faithless and perverse generation. And I believe he is addressing this man. You know, this man was one of little faith. He came, he had some faith. He, he, he had a measure of faith. But in the end, his faith was such that it, it, it was wavering. It was going back and forth. And, and, and he believed, oh, you know what? Jesus can heal him, but you know, this person can't. No way. They can't do it in Jesus' name. Jesus has to be here. He has to lay his hand on my son. And when Jesus, when he lays his hand on my son, then maybe, maybe he'll be saved. Right? He, he's, and Jesus, as he's coming down, he begins to address, uh, the reason why he says this is because he's addressing this man's unbelief. He's addressing this man's lack of faith. And he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. That The word perverse, it literally means um, to be separate and to be twisted or disordered, right? That is when you break down the the Greek roots of the word, it literally means to be separated and to be twisted or distorted, right? That's what perversion is. It is a separation from God and it is a twisting or a distortion of what is right, your relationship with him. 
Okay, and that's what unbelief does to us. That is what a lack of faith, that's when we doubt, when we come before the throne of grace, but not in boldness, not with yes, Lord, and amen, but it's when we come to the throne of grace with doubt. When we don't really believe that God will do what he says, when we don't really believe that God can be the God that he says he is, that we don't really believe that he's got uh, our best interest in mind, and that nothing Nothing on this earth, no matter what we may face, will ever harm us or touch us that is not for our greater good. We don't believe it. We don't see it. We don't understand it. We can't, we can't compute it. And because we can't see it and because we can't touch it, we become like doubting Tom, right? Thomas, the he's like, I will not believe unless I put my hand in his side. That's pretty brazen words to say, isn't it? To put my hands in his side and touch the nail prints in his hand. And yet, when we come before the Lord, oftentimes when we're praying for these things, you know, we, we pray and, and we kind of give like this weak-hearted, you know, Lord, you know, if you can, but not really believing that he could or that he would. And so, what does God think of that? Do you know that it is displeasing to God to pray like that? He says it right here. Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And that word bear, it literally means to prop up, to lift up. How long shall I have to hold you up, right? Any of you guys have kids or grandkids, nieces, nephews, and they're like toddling around, like they're like doing this, and then what do they do? They fall over. Now, for a, a little kid, it's great, you know, it, it's cute even to walk with them and hold their hand. Oh, good job, good job. Look at those little steps you're doing. Oh, so sweet. But now, if Rich is like walking around, and I'm having to hold Rich up as he's walking. Now, I'm not talking like if he has any kind of like malady or something like that. I'm just talking. He's just like, Ugh, and just falling over, falling for no reason at all. And, it, and it's not cute anymore. It's like, Rich, stand up. Dude, what is up? Come on now. Come on. We need to get like bigger shoes for you, something more, more support. You know, like what's going on? It's not cute anymore. I, Rich, my back's getting sore. Like, I, I don't want to prop you up and bear you up anymore. It's time. This is the time in your life when you should be walking. This is the time when you should be running. This is the time when you should be standing. And see, in our faith walk, that, that, that is true as well. See, when we first come to the Lord, our faith is going to be timid and unsure and like, wow, Lord. And the Lord is like, I'm sure he's like, oh, it's so cute. Good job. Good job. But you know what? We are also called by reason of use to grow in our faith. And we aren't to just be completely propped up. You know, every single thing that happens in our life shouldn't be something that teeters us off to like, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. I don't know if I believe anymore. Right? Every hardship that comes to us shouldn't bring us to that place. It can do that at first, but see, we are called to grow past that. And there is a time when we need to be able to stand and just believe. No matter what we feel, no matter what we experience, we need to believe, you know what? My God is true. I am saved in Him. Every single time that Greg Laurie gives an altar call on the radio, I don't need to you know, say the prayer with him. Instead, I can begin to pray for the people who would be listening at the same time that I am. Okay, there is a time when you need to stand. Right? There's a time when you need to stand. And you, you, can't, you can't be a, a child in Christ forever. You need to grow. You need to grow into maturity. And you need to walk. And you need to be obedient to Him. 
Right? We don't want to be a faithless and a perverse generation. We don't want to be that. We don't want to have... Now, Christ is hes more than just a crutch, right? I, I said it last time. You know, he is the emergency room. He's life support, right? He, he is keeping us going. But at the same time, He has things that He has called us to do. He has works that He has set apart for you and for me from before the foundations of the world, right? He has works for us to do. And we can't be walking our walk forever just like, oh, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Oh, I just don't know. And like this, and just sitting in a corner and coming to church and just still like, oh gosh, I don't know. And, and just like being pushed about by every wind of doctrine, by every, by every little thing that attacks us. But we need to come to that place where we, we can begin to stand and we can begin to minister to other people. We can begin to disciple other people where we can begin to, to you know, share the good news with other people like what the kids are doing right now. We can't spend our whole Christian walk in this place of like, feed me, feed me. What can you do for me? I, I need this still. I need this still. And be bottle fed forever. There comes a time when we need to stand. And this man is demonstrating this and Jesus is saying this. That there is, you, know, you can hear it and it's reasonable to say that Jesus is relatively frustrated with this man. But it's not just with this man. He's also frustrated with his disciples. We're going to see that in just a second. And it says, I'm going to flip over real quick uh, to Mark's gospel because I want to read part of this as well. So, you know, he says, O faithless uh, generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And then he says, bring him to me. And then in verse 20 of chapter 9 of Mark, it says, then they brought him to him, that is the child to Jesus, And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Okay, so this isn't just, this isn't like, oh, he's pretending. This is a real deal thing here. And Jesus uh, spoke to his father and he said, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But now listen to this. I I want you to see, see right here is the man's heart. Right? He was coming. He had a measure of faith. Like, you know, I am going to come before Jesus, just like you and me do all the time with our prayer requests before the Lord. Right? We have a measure of faith. We're coming to Jesus. We're not going you know, to our friends. We're not going to the psychologist. We're going to Jesus. And we have that measure of faith. But, but look at what the guy says. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Does this man believe that Jesus can heal his son? He doesn't know. He's unsure. He, he, he's standing here. He, comes, he has enough faith. It, he, he brought his son. He got him out of the house and he brought his son to the place where he knew that he would be confronted by Jesus. He brought him to that place where he knew he would see Jesus face to face. And yet even still, there was doubt in his heart. He says, if you can do anything. And see, what this man was looking at, he was probably not looking Jesus in the eye. He was probably looking at his son. He's looking at the condition that his son has been in for his whole life, and he has dealt with this his whole life, and he has seen his son being thrown into the fire, be thrown into the water, to be convulsed, to foam at the mouth, to wallow all this time, and he has begun, because just close proximity, he has began to, to grow used to it. And he's just like, and he's just become, you know, faithless, and he's just like, it's hopeless. And yet just that little piece in him still said, you know, let's take him to Jesus. And so he brings him before Jesus. And as you know, Jesus is looking at how long has this been happening, the guy's probably looking at his son, worried and kneeling before him. And, and he's like, but if you can help, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I find it very fascinating what Jesus said to him. If you can believe. 
right? Do you see how Jesus turns it around? He uses his very words. The man says, if, if you can do anything, have compassion. And Jesus says, if, if, Jesus literally turns around and says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Do you guys hear that? Do you believe that? See, we come to God many times, right? We come to God many times and we say, Lord, if you can do something, do it. And, and maybe we don't use those words because we've been in church long enough where we, we, we just come and we, we kind of spiritualize it. Lord, I know you can do something, but you probably won't. So, you know, and, and even if your words, you say the right words, but in your heart, you're torn and you're divided and you're like, I really don't think he's going to do it. And you're still, pre- you're preparing yourself for the letdown. Then in the sense, you're, even though your words are right and you're saying, Lord, thy will be done and not mine. But in your heart, you are saying what this man says, Lord, if you can, if you can. Anybody here ever seen the supernatural? I'm curious. It really doesn't happen very often, does it? Why not? God is the same today, yesterday, and forever, right? The same gifts of the Holy Spirit are at work in the church. So why are we so distant from the supernatural? Why don't we experience it? Why don't we see it? Could it be that we have a lack of faith and we don't really believe that he will? And so we, we shut down you know, the Holy Spirit before we even really get started? I don't know. I, I have the pleasure, I can say that I have seen the supernatural. I, I've seen it. God has demonstrated it you know, in multiple, you know, on me, uh, you know, uh, one case through me. You know, I, I've seen it happen before. And it doesn't always happen when I expect it to happen. It doesn't always happen the way I think it'll happen. But I have seen it. They do happen. And I've talked to, especially talked to missionaries who are like in foreign missions. They seem to see them all the time. Why? Because when you're out on the, on the, on the battlefield, like you're just like, Lord, please help me. And there's no other choice. You're just like, Lord. And you're going after it. And, and there's no room for doubt. You know, James said, hey, you know, you know, ask for God. You know, anybody lacking wisdom, you know, ask the Lord who gives liberally. He says, but don't be double-hearted. Don't be double-minded. He says, because if you ask doubting, he says, then know that you will receive nothing from the Lord. So guys, how often in our prayers are we coming to the Lord double-minded? Now, I'm not saying that you can just name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever. Right? I, I'm not saying that because... There is a reality that God can say no. God can say no, but here's the thing. If you come before the Lord praying for something, yet all the while saying he's never going to do it in your heart, then more than likely he's not going to do it. Now, you can also come full of faith, completely trusting God, and ask him, petition before him, and he can say no. But you know what? Faith is required for the positive outcome. It's not a guarantee of the positive outcome, but it is a prerequisite for the outcome. Does that make sense? So he continues on. He says, if you can believe, like, can you believe? Right? God is asking that to his people. If you can believe, then nothing will be impossible to you guys. What's impossible for God? Finances, are they impossible for your God? No, no. Uh, the car that's having trouble, is it impossible for God? No, I can give you an example of that one. I've got a personal testimony of how God can heal cars, right? Remember, I was at the post office and there I was and that little old man was there and he had gotten his stuff and I had opened the door for him so he can can walk through and he goes to start his truck and and it's like, oh man. I said, hey, 
you know, can I help you? And he was on the phone calling his daughter to, to come and she was driving from like Fullerton or something. I said, hey, I've got jumper cables. I can jump your car. And he goes, oh, calls his daughter. Hey, don't worry about it. So I come over there and I hook it up and, and we're sitting there talking and, and, you know, we're just kind of rapping a little bit. And I started asking him if he goes to church and things like that. And he says, well, I used to, but not anymore. And so it was like his faith was just like that battery. Right. And so we had the, the, the jumper cables on there. And so he tries, he goes and tries to turn it over. Nothing's happening. And it's like, oh man, you know, the jumper cables aren't working. Bummer. Maybe he's going to need a new battery or an alternator or something. I don't know. And then we're, we're just talking about, it's like, hey, you know what? Let's just give it a little bit longer to juice up. And so we're sitting there, we're talking. I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for your car? And like, and it was the Lord who was prompting me to say it. And I was just like, oh Lord, don't embarrass me. I really, I honestly was. I was praying that Lord, don't embarrass me. Please don't make me look like a fool. But I was like, do you mind if I pray for your car? And he kind of looked at me kind of funny. And it's like, and then he goes, sure, if you think it'll help. And I go, okay. And so I, I lay my hand on, on the fender of the car. And I said, and I touched my hand to his shoulder. And I said, Lord Jesus, please heal this car. And I was just like, and in my mind, I'm just like, I sound like an idiot. I was seriously was, I was like, I sound like an idiot. And, and the whole time I was doubting, right? I was just like, ah. And so I do that. But at the same time, it's like, it, it was what the Lord had impressed on my heart. And so then, then there was like this awkward silence. And he kind of looks at me and he goes, why don't we try the car? And he walks back. <laughs> He walks, and he said it with a bit of sarcasm, and he walks past the car, and he sits down, and he goes, and I go, Lord, please, and the car starts right up, and I go, yes, and I'm like, thank you, Lord, and then, and I look up, and he's sitting there with his hands on the steering wheel, staring, (laughs) and he's just sitting there, and then he looks up at me, and I go, praise the Lord, (laughs) like this, and he's just sitting there, and he's like looking at me. And he goes, yeah. And he, so then he comes out of the car and then we start a conversation and I give him one of Trinity's cards and I start talking to him and, and it turns out that, you know, his, he had buried a wife and two children and he and I started having this conversation and I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said, yes, please. And I got to lay my hands on that man. And in the same way that we jump-started his car, my prayer was that the Lord would jump-start his faith. And, and I laid my hands on him and I prayed for him. Right, guys, is anything impossible for our God? Right, now, did me putting my hand on a car and praying in Jesus' name heal that car? You know what? It did. It didn't, it didn't work before. You know, I, I put the jumper cables on it. It wasn't working. We had turned, it, it had been like 20 minutes that we had been j- charging that car. Nothing, 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 nothing. He walks out. Hey, do you mind if I pray for your car? And I'm like, oh, Lord, please help me. And it's like, in Jesus' name, heal this car. And like he walks back around maybe a minute and a half afterwards, he's in the seat, turns the car, and it starts right up, right? Jesus can do anything he wants to do. Nothing will be impossible for you if you can but believe, right? Is he really God? See, that, that's a question. Is he really God? Now, the transfiguration, you know, we can say scripturally, absolutely, Jesus is the Son of God. He has the witnesses. He has the proof. We know we don't have to question. We don't have to wonder. He is the Son of God. But then the question is, is He really the Son of God? Because we can have all the evidence in the world and yet choose not to believe, can't we? Right? Have you ever had those conversations with family members? And you say, look, here's the evidence. And you show systematically all of the reasonable evidence stating why the Bible is the word of God, why Jesus is the Messiah, why he is the son of God, how he really did rise from the dead. And these aren't just cunningly devised fables. And you can give them all the information 
and yet they just go like, yeah, I, I, I won't believe it. And it's not because they don't know the truth. It's because they don't want to know the truth. They don't want to believe it. I asked a cousin of mine, you know, he, he's an avowed atheist and Satanist. And, and he and I were having a conversation once. And I said, I said, you know what, bro? I said, I love you. I said, but I believe that you know that God is real and yet you don't want him to be real and so you argue against him. And he says, that's, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. He was totally honest with me. He's like, I just don't want him to be right. And you know what? You talk to any atheist today. Now, why is it that atheists have like anti-Christian stuff on it? Why isn't that they have like, you know, Buddha is nothing on, you know, you know, tattooed on their chest why is it that on their facebook pages that they don't have you know death to allah and things like that why is it that they're always against christ because there are no true atheists they don't exist what is an atheist an atheist somebody is somebody who is angry at god and so they are striking out at god by saying na 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 you don't exist you don't exist if i close my eyes you don't exist but that's not the reality guys there's nothing impossible with our God if we will but believe, if we will allow ourselves to look at the reasonable evidence. Now, if you don't know the reasonable evidence, if you have not searched these things out, if you have not studied them and you don't know, then I would say, it's like, you know what? If you haven't given your heart to the Lord today, then don't. That's okay. It's reasonable to look into the evidence because God says, come, let us reason with one another. And then when you look upon the evidence and you see the reasonable evidence, then you are responsible. Then you are responsible before God because you know. And if you have heard enough evidence and this morning you're like, I know, I believe. Then it's like, you know what? When you leave here this morning, you are responsible for what you know. But guys, I want you to know this. Nothing will be impossible to you if you have just that much faith. A mustard seed. How big is a mustard seed? It's, not, it's, it's about the size of if you guys ever get like kosher salt or like sea salt. You know how they come in those big granules? That's about the size of a mustard seed. That's how much faith you need to do incredible works for God. Do you guys want to see supernatural things take place in your walk? Then you know what? Believe. Believe, anticipate them, take steps of faith that are scary, that might make you look like a fool if they don't work. But nevertheless, like, you know, you, you will never see a miracle unless you step out in faith and do something that requires a miracle, right? It will never happen if you stay safe. If you stay safe and you just sit and it's like, oh, you know, if I, if I pray that, you know, if I have a conversation with an atheist, and they say, prove it, show me, have your God do this right now. And you say, oh, that's lame, that's lame, that's lame, and walk away. Well, you're, I mean, you're right. The guy was lame to ask that. But you know what? You'll never see the miracle. But if in that moment you pray a quick prayer before the Lord and the Lord says, do it, boy, do it, daughter. And you say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, make it start raining right now you might see a miracle you might see a miracle i've seen the lord part a cloud i've shared that with you at the outdoor wedding father because you know as a pastor doing weddings outdoor ones are always tricky because you never know what the weather's going to bring and i said i walk outside my door it's in the morning there's the drizzle frank's witness he was there 
right? There's the drizzle, it's raining. It's like, oh, bad news for an outdoor wedding. And I was walking to my car. I sit down in my car. I said, Lord, you are bigger than the wedding. And if you like, you can part these clouds. That was exactly my prayer. Get to the wedding. We're there. It's right here on Chapman Avenue, little park. We're sitting there. And the first bridesmaid starts walking down the aisle. The music's going. And all of a sudden, light shines down. The sun breaks through the clouds. By the time the bride came, it was hot. We were like, whew, it's warm. It's warm out here. It was blue skies all above us. Wedding goes off without a hitch. They go start taking photos, all the thing. The photographer says, takes the last picture and says, that's a wrap. And as she was saying that, it got gray immediately again. And the drizzle started again. Gets better. Gets better. Heidi was driving to worship generation, right, for a prayer meeting. At that exact same time, and she said as she was driving on the 55 freeway, when she came up to Chapman Avenue, she said there was a line of blue from horizon to horizon, and everywhere else around was the gray, drizzly skies. Right over Chapman Avenue, it was blue skies and hot. The sun was shining. Okay, what's impossible for our God, guys? Did I expect God to actually do that? I thought it might be nice. I thought it might be nice. Lord... You're bigger than this weather. You can part the clouds if you like. That was it. It wasn't like, oh Lord. You know, it's like, I, I wasn't like speaking in King James or anything. You know, it's just like, nothing will be impossible for you if you have that much faith. That much faith. How much faith do we have? How much faith do we have? Do we really believe? Because we can say, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. And yet when that belief is tested and put to the test, then you know if you really believe. Why was Trinity ready to go to heaven at so young? Because she believed. You know how I know that she believed? Because when I told her that she had cancer and she could die, she smiled and said, you mean I get to go to heaven? Right? That is evidence of the belief that was in her heart. She believed. If somebody told me right this moment, you have cancer and you're going to die. You know, I might say, you mean I get to go to heaven now? But before this happened, I might go like, oh my goodness, what's that mean? Can my Lord save me? Guys, we must believe. Without belief, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? In, in Hebrews chapter 11, you guys are familiar with it. The author there says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the world, that is the universe, was framed by the word of God. God spoke into the darkness, let there be light. And there was light. He said, light be and light was. So that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Right? He believed, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. We see that of Abraham as well, right? He believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He says, and um, through it he obtained the witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. That's what the supernatural is. The miracles that happen in our life is God testifying of the righteousness that is within us. What is our righteousness? Is it our good works? No, our righteousness is that we believe, right? That we have looked and pondered upon the evidence that God has left for us and we believe. 
That we have laid down our rights. We have laid down our demands. We have laid down everything and said, Lord, you're right. And whatever I may like, whatever I may want, you were true. Let you be true and let every man be a liar. And he says, so and through it, and though it being dead, he still speaks, speaking of Abel. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. How did he please God? He believed. He had faith. He pleased God in that way. But listen to this. In verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God unless you believe, unless you are willing to stand up, unless you are willing not to always be like, oh, Lord, help me up. Oh, Lord, help me up. Oh, I don't know. Oh, this person is getting against me. Oh, 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 oh." until you're ready to stand and just say, you know what? Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe? It's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please Him unless we say, Lord, I believe You died for my sin. I believe You are the promised Christ, the promised Messiah. I believe that You are the sinless Son of God who came onto this earth to die in my place that I may have life and be reconciled to God. That I may look to God and not be uh, terrified and fearing death, but I can look death in the eyes and say, Awesome. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to do the works of God without faith. What is the work of God? Uh, it, we actually have it in uh, John chapter 6, verse 28. Right? It says that then they said to him, to Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Good question, right? That's a really good question. What do we need to do to do the works of God? What must we do? What, what is our Christian walk? What does it need to look like? Jesus answered and said to them in verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. That you believe in Him whom He sent. Guys, do you believe? If you believe, then your life will be evidence of that belief. When you come to the Lord, you won't come and say, Lord, if you can help. I I love what this guy says afterwards. So Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. This is in in Mark still. And he says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, listen to this. This needs to be the prayer of so many of us because we we all deal with this. We all wrestle with this. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to believe. I want to believe, Lord, help me. I want to believe, but I I don't. I want to believe, but I can't. Lord, help my unbelief. I want to be pleasing to you. How many of you want to be pleasing to God? But how many of you struggle with trusting Him when He calls you to do something that isn't comfortable? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I need you. Please, Lord. And when Jesus saw the people, they come running together. He said, he, un, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. See, the prayer of this man, he had that little bit of faith, just enough. It, was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't totally there. He had a failure. He got called, you know, a, a faithless pervert, right? Spiritually speaking, right? He, he didn't, it wasn't quite there, but he had that much faith he had a measure of faith and then with that measure of faith christ drew out of him more faith 
He says, if you can believe, nothing will be impossible to you. And I believe the Lord is speaking that to all of us here this morning, right? We all have a measure of faith, right? We all have come to this place. You wouldn't be in church if you didn't have a measure of faith, unless you just want a social club, right? But you wouldn't be here unless you had a measure of faith. And, and God is drawing out of you a greater faith. He has greater works for you and for me. He has more that he wants to do. He has more that he wants to show. He has more that he wants to divinely uh, reveal to you that he may say, well done. This was not of flesh and blood, but this was of the Father, right? He wants more for us. And so we need to have that prayer. If we struggle with doubt, if we are plagued with it, and if you are a worrier, well, what is worry? It's doubting that God's going to do what, he's, what he promised to do, right? If you're afraid of your finances, if you're afraid of your living situation, if you're afraid of doing what is righteous because you're afraid of what the consequences will be, well, guess what? That goes right to the, the um, definition of the adjective of being perverse, Right? You do, you are obstinate, you are deliberate in your desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable before God to doubt, to know what is right and to not do it is unreasonable. And it is a separation from him and it is a twisting of the truth. God has more, guys. With 12 disciples, he turned the world upside down. There's a lot more than 12 people in this room. There's a lot more than 12 people in this room. If this church, we're a small church. When I go to the pastor's conferences, that's always the question. How many people you got? You know what I say? This is what I started answering. We are small but beautiful. That's my answer. I'm content with our church. Why? Because the spirit is moving here. I do see love in this church. I do see sacrifice. What would happen if we with the measure of love that God has given us, with the measure of faith that God has already developed in us, if we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And if we are willing to step out of this room, to step out into the streets of Orange, to step out in the streets of Newport Beach, of Huntington Beach, of Costa Mesa, of Yorba Linda, wherever you may be coming from, if we are willing to step out of this room and trust God, what do you think will happen? I don't know. But this I do know nothing will be impossible to you. You will pull down strongholds of the enemy. You will topple giants. You will walk on water. You will do incredible things for the Lord. And they may not be flashy big things, but you may have a person kneeling on the floor with you, accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. I got to experience that this Friday. Again, I love it. I love it when you have those moments and just kneeling on the floor and the tears flowing, and hearts being open to God, because that is a miracle. If you have seen, if you didn't raise your hand before, but you have seen somebody earnestly come before the Lord and give their hearts to Jesus, then you have seen a miracle. Okay, because that soul just passed from death to life. You just saw a resurrection. Okay, guys, if you but believe, you will see mighty things happen. And people will look at you, and you will be one of those people that they go like, whoa, that guy, that lady. I don't necessarily believe what they believe in, but they're legit. If you will only believe. Jesus talks to his disciples and they ask him, Lord, why couldn't we do it? Because remember, Jesus already gave them authority to cast out unclean spirits, right? They've already gone out once before casting out the spirits and they came rejoicing saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. 
So why is it they failed here? Well, I think it could be something that happens with a lot of us. The dad didn't really believe that they could. He planted the seed of doubt in their heads. The, the scribes were right there. The pressure was on game day. And then when this demon and Jesus said, well, to give you guys a little bit of credit, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. But what did they do? They gave up. It didn't work on the first try. I prayed once, Lord, be healed in the name of Jesus. Oh, nothing happened. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, because of your doubt, it didn't come out. Remember Elijah, a man of like passions, just like us? He prayed for it to rain. Did it, did it rain the first time he prayed? Nope. How many times did he have to pray? Seven times. Seven times he prayed the same prayer. Seven times he sent his servant out. Go look, is there, are there any clouds? Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? After the fourth time, go look again. You're going to make me run out to the cliff again? Run out there, come back, still nothing. Okay, I'm going to pray again. Go look again. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? Six times, seventh time. And then he's like, well, there's like a little cloud the size of a hand, but that's nothing. He's like, that's it. Gird up your loins, baby. We're going for a run. Off he goes. And it rained. Guys, what does God want to do through your life that is being stopped by your unbelief? What does God want to do through you How many people does he want to influence and impact for the kingdom of heaven? But it's not happening because you are unwilling. Because you're afraid. It's a good question. I ask that of myself. I ask that of myself because though I get to lead people to the Lord, though I get to preach here, it's like, you know what? I still have fear. I still have doubts. I can still be like the disciples. And even though, uh, you know, I've seen great things, I can still, in a moment of weakness, like, "Mm, I'm not going to say anything to that person and walk away just like you. But it's like, you know what? If we come before the Lord and just say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what? Nothing will be impossible for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. Lord, you truly are faithful. And Lord, we know that you are the God, the creator, who spoke this universe into existence. Light be and light was. And Lord, you can speak into our lives Lord, you can say finances be, and they will be. Lord, you can say faith be. You can say to a car, be healed. You can say to the leper, be clean. You can say to the atheist, breathe, and they can have life. Lord, you can use us, your servants, broken as we are, to do amazing things. If we will but be willing to be fools for Christ's sake if we were willing to lay aside our pride and our reputations and to be like Moses who turned away from the pleasures of Egypt because he counted your kingdom of greater worth. So Lord, I pray that you would be here among us. Lord, that you would speak, that you would embolden us, Lord, that you would help our unbelief. For Lord, we wish to see greater things than these. We wish to see hearts coming to know you. We wish to see the dead rising, to see broken hearts made whole. We love you, Lord, and we come before you in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.